Well, worry no longer. Our KWVA website has you covered. All past episodes will be posted to our website along with an outline for what the crew talked about during the show. So head over to kwva.uoregon.edu slash category slash sports slash quack dash smack for more. Now live at 6 o'clock, KWVA Sports is broadcasting from the campus of the University of Oregon. That's the show. It's Quack Smack. I like talking, talking sports. Quack Smack. What? Quack Smack. Every Monday through Thursday at 6 p.m., the KWVA staff dissects all things Oregon athletics. <laughs> I'm, I'm experiencing life right now. I'm not sure how much more can be said. Quack, quack. Quack, quack. Now I'm on the show, and I don't know how long I'm going to be here. It's time for your nightly dose of Quack Smack. Now, let's head into the KWVA Sports Studios for the show. Tuesday, February 13th, 2024, the day before Valentine's Day. Um, because all of us in our, our plentiful Valentine's plans, we know we you know we couldn't be on tomorrow. Uh, welcome into the KWVA Studios. Austin Oda, Ty Goss, Isaac Doobie. We've got a whole squad over in production. Uh, let's have a day. We're going to talk some Oregon softball. We're going to talk some Oregon baseball. We're going to get the uh, the legend himself, Ryan Milano, hopefully in the studio. Uh and we're going to talk some Oregon's baske- Oregon basketball, who just got some bad news that we'll get into. I don't know if either of you have seen that, so don't look it up, and I'm going to surprise you. It's going to be fun. Um, but before we do that, how are we doing? Ty, freshman year, week six, winter term, officially above halfway done with your first year of college? You know, you really you, you don't need to say that part, Austin. I, and then all of a sudden, you're graduating. Thank you for that. Yeah. Really uplifting in this moment. Not like I just had a, a whole like deep crisis about it about an hour. Ago. Right. Yeah. No, you're but welcome. No, honestly, uh, it's been going great. Excited to be back in studio. Learned how to do derivatives today. So everything's looking Ty Goss. Tomorrow's my birthday. Good week up. Shout out. Yeah. Uh, so are I'm you, are you turning 19? Yes. Okay. Okay. I was going to say, if you were turning 18, that would be kind of insane. Yeah. No, Last year we had a, a kid trace. May he rest in peace. He's still alive. He's just uh, he hangs out frequently in the uh, the esports lounge. That didn't turn eighteen until like December of twenty twenty two. He is there right now. Uh, Ryan Milano is also here. He's recording some IDs, so we have some uh, some new IDs to be played. Good. I was worried because I hadn't heard from you, uh, Ryan. If you can hear me, I was worried that you weren't coming, but I- I'm glad you're here. Uh, is he going over air? He's not going over air. He said, I texted him two hours ago. He's just talking back to me. Uh, it was like six hours ago, but, you know, that that's okay. Uh, we're here. He's going to be on in 17 <laughs> minutes, give or take. Um, let's. Uh, Isaac, I, I forgot to ask how you were. How, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm, I'm going home this weekend, um, going back to Portland to see some Shout family. Out. And just uh, uh, this week has been really good um, overall. So we're doing great. And this mic is wanting to move away from my face already. We're yeah. off to a great start here. No, it's a, it's a good start. Uh, cool. So, do you want to pop on and tell us how you're doing? I'm doing great. Like, I'm just having – I mean, it's the day before Valentine's Day, so I'm not doing that great. But, I mean, still, hey, we're, we're doing all right. Luke, do you want to pop on and tell us how you're doing? What, what happened? Do you want to just tell us how you're doing? Checking in with everyone. I'm doing excellent. Thank you for asking today. Of course. Great. Good to see everyone. 
Let's uh, should we maybe start talking sports now? Let's do it. Uh, Oregon softball, um, eerily similar weekend to the opening of last year, where they're in a, a very different environment from Eugene. Uh, last year was in Puerto Vallarta, um, which Ryan and I know a lot about because of how much we were there that week and didn't get our trip canceled. Um, this week, which I know about because I was on the broadcast and, and very much not uh, here calling lane basketball, but but very different environment from, from Eugene over in Clearwater, Florida. A very similar result, though. Last year, they went 3-2 and two, um, against a top-five team in the nation. They played Oklahoma State last year, and then a really good team that I think is going to end up being better than people expected. Last year, it was Maryland. This year, it's Indiana. They go 4-2 and two this year because they have an extra game. They went 3-2 and two last year. I wanted uh, I I couldn't figure out what word I meant to put for this, so I put vibe check. But just like uh, like how are we feeling about the the state of the team right now? What are instant reactions from the weekend? I'll let either of you take the floor. Uh, I don't think that there's reason to be concerned based off of this past six game stretch because a loss to Indiana it was a really close loss five seven. Um, Indiana is going to be a team that I think is going to be ranked within the next two weeks, if not sooner. And then a really, really tight loss to Clemson that went down to the final uh, at-bat. And Clemson, top five team in the nation. I don't think that there's much cause for concern for this Oregon team because the other teams that they played, they confidently beat. They beat Liberty 8 nothing, Missouri State 8 nothing. The tightest win that they had was Kansas. And I still felt like that was a game where they were in control. So overall, I think it's a pretty good outing for them. Yeah, you know, with that one game, that first game, that loss that was seven to five against Indiana, as you said, Ty, that's a really good team. Um, and you fought. You they were down, you know, pretty big in that game, but they did a great job to fight back into that one. And I was impressed with that. Um, obviously, that big, you know, that big lead and able to fight back in that one. Um, I was really, in, I was really encouraged by Emma Koff's performance, the newcomer, uh, to be coming into Oregon. I think she's going to play a big a big role in this Oregon hitting crew um, this year as kind of that just extra person in that uh, batting rotation. And, you know, overall going down in the polls as far as the overall rankings as a team, they were at 13 before the, um, before this weekend and now at number 14 in the USA softball poll and number 17 in the NFCA. And so overall, just a, sol- a solid start to rebound from that first loss and compete against Clemson and get a couple big wins over uh, Kansas and Mississippi State. Missouri State, excuse me. I would have thought it was Mississippi State if I had just seen the logo, which looks if, like, like just on like quick glance, looks yeah. slightly similar, similar-ish colors. And not Kansas, Liberty. I said Kansas. Uh, the Kansas win was still a good win, though. I, I think that that Kansas team is kind of in the same boat as Indiana. They're going to end up being better than people think they are right now. Um, yeah, for me, I'm I I feel good about this team still. I I I think the the worst the worst that this team will be in my four years here will be will have been my freshman year, and still they were, um, you know, a couple outs away from making a super regional. I think Melissa Lombardi has has started to build something really special here um something that is reminiscent of um what mike white did i couldn't get the name michael scott out of my head when i was thinking (laughs) of oregon's last coach um very different people um 
yeah, Mike, Mike, Michael Scott stays at his company. Mike White went to Texas, and I, I can't blame him. The money calls. Uh, but Mike, Mike White did an amazing job at Oregon, and I think the root of that was kind of his pitching staff. So my original question was kind of trying to talk about um, how this pitching staff for Oregon compares to their last ones uh, throughout the Melissa Lombardi era. And I, I, I want to break that down a little bit from my perspective before I hear a little bit more from, from you guys about what you thought. I think that looking at, at all six years of Melissa Lombardi's tenure, this is far and away the best pitching staff that she's had. Um, the on, on paper, the best, at least coming into a season, would have been my freshman year, like I like I mentioned, when they had um, mechanically Thermos and Brooke Yanez and Jordan Dale, and those were three like good quality pitchers. Yanez was a Pac-12 Pitcher of the Year candidate. Dale was um, kind of a a change in the rotation, a change in the styles of the other two, and then Cleithermis was kind of the the rising veteran. Um, I think this year compares to that and kind of blows it out the water. Um, Stevie Hansen is is even though she really struggled in their first game, I think is one of the best pitchers in the Pac-12, especially with someone like Megan Foramo gone. Um, Morgan Scott was one of the best pitchers in the Pac-12 last year, and she's only gotten better. Um, they're that, that like thunder and lightning combination that you hear about a lot, so I, I'm excited for them. And then Taylor Spencer, who I wrote about for Duck Territory this weekend, uh, she was awesome. She threw a team high, or second on the team with 10 innings, threw a team high four games, um, doesn't have the strikeout stuff. She wasn't like this huge recruit like you saw with Stevie Hansen, who was a top ten recruit. But she just she throws strikes, she gets outs, um, and and that's been fun to watch. So my question to you guys is: is what are the thoughts on the pitching right now? I know Ty, you had some some conflicting thoughts to me. I think I agree with you that this is an incredible pitching staff and the best in the past five years. But I feel like coming away from the series that they just had in Clearwater it just felt a little bit below what they could have done. And that might be mainly fueled by Stevie Hansen not performing to Stevie Hansen levels because there were great performances. Specifically, I was going to talk about Taylor Spencer. I thought Taylor Spencer did far better than anyone was expecting. And I'm really, really excited to see how she plays the rest of the year. But I think that the key to this pitching staff is Stevie Hansen. Stevie Hansen's a star. And it's concerning because Stevie Hansen's first outing against Indiana was pretty bad. And she had bounce-back games after that. But even in those bounce-back games, that wasn't a bounce-back to who Stevie Hansen is. That was a bounce-back to a, a good pitcher, but not a pitcher that Stevie Hansen should be. And that's kind of a cause of concern for me because I feel like a great pitcher should be able to bounce right back into the rhythm by their third game, and she hasn't yet. So we might have to see if some of the other pitchers are going to pick up the pace and start performing above where we thought they were going to if we're going to see a dip in production there. And that's just kind of why I'm a little uneasy about the pitching staff. I think that they're still a great one, but I don't know if they're living up to these standards that I had set for them at the beginning of this season, which admittedly were very high standards. Yeah, I'm going to say, I mean, I think that that's just a tough game against Indiana, that that's your first game. I, I really think that we got to give Stevie Hansen a little bit of credit. And in that performance against Clemson, that's also like one of the top 10 teams within softball. So I I, I think that you have to give credit where credit is due and just say that, yes, it's not Stevie Hansen's level, but it's, but it's also the first weekend of the season. It's your first game against Indiana. It's 
you know, your sixth game and trying to finish strong in this first uh, weekend of this tournament um, against Clemson. And I just think those are a couple tough matchups. I think that this is a really good weekend to build on as far as the pitching. And I really, really, really think that Taylor Spencer, as a freshman, having that performance against Liberty that she had is a, a, a big deal. Getting, you know, the playing time that she did and really performed well. Yeah, I think it's important with Hanson to look back to last season when they struggled in the, the opening tournament. Stevie Hanson was a big reason for that struggle um, in the, in the opening against Maryland to I I really thought was better last year because they were ranked for a good period of time and then they made the mm, I don't remember exactly what it was called tournament basically the equivalent of the NIT for softball um and I think only went like two rounds in in that tournament which kind of says something but Maryland ended up being ranked for a good portion of the year they struggled um in their in their late season tournaments as I mentioned but in that game CB Hansen went two-thirds of an inning gave up two hits five runs two walks only struck at one hit two batters like she was not good, and she was nowhere near that poor this year in her in her opening night start. Um, she wasn't great. You could argue—I mean, it's not even arguable. She wasn't good, necessarily, um, but even still, three strikeouts, no walks, none of her, only two of her runs were earned. She's going to give up the long ball, and especially in, in an environment like Florida where— it's it's gonna be a little bit muggier. You're gonna have um, a little bit more precipitation when the, when she leaves the ball up. It's it's gonna fly. Um, I I think I understand why you're worried. Like I I get that. Um, I don't think I am though. I think just something about it because I think I was in your position at the start of last year where if you saw Stevie Henson walk four batters against Maryland, like there was cause for concern. But then. Um, as I wrote about in my Duck Territory article, shameless plug, uh, the rest of February last year, she threw 50 innings, only had a 1-1-5 ERA in those 15, or in those 50 innings. So, like, she ended her month with a no-hitter. Like, she'll she'll be fine. Um, and I think what speaks more than that, more than just Hansen, is, is the depth. Because Morgan Scott, I think, like, Stevie Hansen and Morgan Scott can go 1-2 against any other pitching tandem in the nation. And then... You throw in Elise Sikolsky, who was great this weekend in her appearance uh, kind of over a year, oh, almost a year since her last appearance in a Duck uniform. You throw in Reagan Breedlove, who is, uh, I, I forget, I, I think I'm calling her the firefighter now, um, both because of the, the fiery red hair and because she just gets out of jams, gets into situations, and puts out fires. Um, you throw in Taylor Spencer, who was awesome this weekend. Like, this is... I think a very deep pitching staff where they don't just rely on Hanson like they did her freshman year. Um, which brings me to my next question, which is about the offense. Uh, you talked about Emma Calf a little bit, but I think overall it was a, a really solid offensive weekend. So who are some players we want to put some shine on? Uh, I think got to get the obvious player out of the way first. Ariel Carlson. Yeah. Um, she was all right. She was, she was okay. You know, uh, uh, one one five nine OPS. That's fine. Which is in pretty incredible. Um, actually, sorry, no, that's wrong. Uh, one five eight seven OPS. Yeah, Pac twelve player of the week. She was incredible. I believe she tied the single game record for Oregon softball for doubles, doubles in a yeah. game. Yeah, I mean, you really can't ask for anything more from a player. And if she performs at even close to that level for the rest of the year, this is a special, special season that we may be in store for. 
yeah, I think Carlson is it's really shows that when she is hitting and she's probably one of the best uh, in the game and definitely, you know, on definitely on the team and it felt like in a lot of those matchups there wasn't anybody that was hitting better than her in any of those games. I think that Daniels that first performance showed a, a lot of really good things, things to build off of going later on into the season and I really think that um one thing to note at least is how Lushar was really consistent this weekend and started mm-hmm. off every game with a single in this tournament. And when you're getting consistent hits, getting on bases, getting RBIs, and you start to load up those bases, that's how you play team team baseball. And just getting on, yeah, getting on base and getting hits. And I think that even though the struggles of um, Hanson happened this weekend, I think it was really good that Orkin could rely on that hitting crew to kind of keep up with the other team and not let those struggles uh, really haunt them and end up losing and and end up having them pull uh, the other team pull away. And Kyle Shar is someone who last year did, did you have something else? Oh no, sorry. Go ahead. Sure. Afterwards. Okay. Yes. Thank you. How sweet. Um <coughs> Ooh, is someone that I was a little bit cautiously optimistic about coming into the year because I I realized how good she was last year like um you don't hit for 419 and, and have it be a fluke, but I do think sometimes that that kind of slap and dash hitter can be be hit or miss. Um, I'm not worried about her at all. I think she is the perfect table setter for a postseason team. She has unbelievable speed. She had six steals this weekend. Like she's the perfect leadoff hitter. Um, I'm glad you brought up Alyssa Daniel. I'm a huge fan of hers. I think she's one of the best power threats um, on this team. One of the best true power threats on this team, which they haven't really had a left-handed power hitter like her in, in a little while. And so to have someone like Alyssa Daniel in the middle of the lineup is huge. Um, and then, K.K. Humphreys, even though the numbers don't show it, had a couple big hits late in the weekend, which um, I've been a, a K.K. Humphreys supporter for a while, so I'm, I'm glad she got her shine. Ty, what's up? Uh, yeah, actually, I wanted to talk even more about Lushar because I thought Lushar did even better than I think a lot of people are giving credit for. And there's one thing specifically that I want to focus in on, which is last year, Lushar in 40 games played had 14 stolen bases. And so far this season, in six games played, she has six stolen bases. She's almost at the halfway mark of 2023. And I think that sending her more often, as Lombardi has been doing, is a crucial aspect in just boosting the impact of Lushar on this team. Because she's a great contact hitter. She's not very good at pushing the ball into the outfield. But when you can steal bases at the ability that Lewis Shark can, you're effectively getting a great power hitter because she's able to get to second off of just of a single. And it's really, really huge for this team in that you can get someone who can set the table, like how Isaac was saying. But in a pinch, if you need somebody on second, Kyle Lushar is someone you can trust to make it to second. Yeah, single's basically a double in, in her case. Yeah. What was the stat that we saw yesterday that kind of took that into account? Ooh. Sika? I, yeah, I right? think that, yeah, yeah. We're, we are, Ty and I are currently um, working on some baseball nerd stuff. and, uh, and In we, the dungeon. In the dungeon, um, a.k.a. Allen Hall during my class. Um, <laughs> and that was one of the stats that was, like, neither of us had really heard of, but uh, but it kind of takes into account, like, those players, like, the, the base running impact of players like Kyle Shar. Yeah, and I think that that's something where 
she has a major potential to just open up this offense. And I'm really excited for how that works because if you have Bouchard and then you got Carlson right behind her, that's – I'm not going to – I don't want to try to sound too optimistic, but that's almost like getting a guaranteed runner in scoring right. position every single time. Yeah. And with a batter like Carlson right after – I mean, that's – it's incredible. You can't really ask for a better one too. And maybe Lombardi will play them like that. Maybe she won't. But it's a really optimistic setup for Oregon regardless. You got a seal of approval from Ryan Milano, by the way. I don't know if you heard. I did not hear. But he said, great take. Oh, I appreciate that, And Ryan. I think that's that's kind of a, a perfect uh, segue into our next segment. We're going to step aside. When we come back, we're going to have Ryan Milano, and you're going to be able to hear him. It's only been a month, and I'm sure you all miss his beautiful, booming voice. So... He'll be talking Oregon baseball on the other side of this break. You're listening to 88.1. It's Quack Smack. KWVA. KWVA. UNICEF works across 190 countries and territories to reach the children and young people who are most at risk and most in need. As conflict escalates in Ukraine, UNICEF is on the ground providing safe water, emergency supplies, and social services to children and their families. Learn more at unicef.org forward slash Ukraine forward slash EN. For over 50 years, Help Heal Veterans has utilized recycled materials to create, manufacture, and distribute art therapy kits that help vets deal with pain management, PTSD, anxiety, depression, and many other challenges. Our kits help veterans find sustainable wellness in their lives. We are proud to help those who served our country. Our mission is to help our veterans. To learn more, go to HealVets.org. That's HealVets.org. Sponsored by Help Heal Veterans. Farming is dangerous. There's dangers all around us. We go through safety training and try and do these things to make sure accidents don't happen. You don't want to hit a gas pipe because that's your life. The other part of it is if you hit certain things, you're liable for it. Farm Safe 811 starts with you. Always call 811 and wait for any underground lines to be marked. Always keep safety in the back of your mind. Just stay humble. For more information, go to farmsafe811.org. This is Neil Everett from SportsCenter. When I'm in Eugene, I listen to Quack Smack. And you better, too. KWVA Eugene 88.1 FM. Go Ducks, Quack! When naming uh, popular figures in, uh, in, in the KWVA archives. Neil Everett is, is number 1A, and then number 1B is our guest, don't, Ryan Milano. Don't do, don't do this. You knew it was coming. I think it was, I think it was a perfect segue. Uh, welcome back, bud. It's, it's good to be here. Um, it's been a long time. Uh, what station are we on again? KWVA, Eugene, 88.1. Go Docs, quack. Uh, thanks for the reminder. I yeah, of course. Um, how are you? Update us on your uh, your haps. Uh, I'm good. I am over at the Oregon Sports Network doing true. a bunch of things over there. Very uh, true. Probably heard me on Duck Insider this this Monday. Uh, I didn't. It's because you didn't. Listen. I heard Knight's bird calls. <laughs> I did have Knight come on. He did do bird calls. I thought that that was a very fun segment. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to No Context KWVA. Shout out to No Context KWVA. Um, 
really who, good account, by the way. Yeah, is just taking, we don't know who runs it. Taking random pictures of me and then yeah, not that one is kind of crazy. That I mean, I mean, some of the posts are are fine, but then do you know who runs it? I, I you know, don't say it. I, I'm just asking if you know who runs it. I, I can neither confirm or deny. That okay, yeah, I would, I would, I would never even confirm that. <laughs> right. Yeah, things are good. Uh, preparing for baseball season, you know, been in the weeds with that. We ship out on Thursday, first game on Friday, so I'm I'm fired up. Have you gotten to see my favorite person at all, Dylan? Dylan McShane. Yeah, I have gotten to see him at practice. Good. Good. Thanks for being here. <laughs> That's the whole interview. <laughs> <laughs> um, where do you want to start? What is this interview? Am I, I am I interviewing you? No, like I, I did this to Jared last week. Like, what are if you had to in one Ryan Milano sentence, which is, is going to be a long one, how would you describe... How many commas can I... <laughs> as many as you want. Oxford comma doesn't exist. Um, how would you describe this team? How would you describe the way you feel about this team going into week one? I'll give you one word. Excitement is, is what I feel. Um, it's a good word. I, I don't want to be limited to one sentence here. I'm trying to figure out a way to formulate my thoughts into one sentence, and I, I just can't do it. Um, but I think that my overall synopsis of this team is obviously the offense has been incredible under Mark Wasikowski and has continued to grow year after year after year. But Oregon lost a lot of production last year, and it was about 75% of their production in their offensive lineup. And so how is Oregon going to replace that? There's a lot of transfers, in particular in the outfield, Justin Casella, Jeffrey Hurd, those are names that I'm looking shout for out in San Jose the outfield. Zone, Jeffrey Heard. Shout out. Um, shout out for you. I'm not, right. I don't have no affiliation to, to San Jose, but sure. shout out for you. Um, but I'm, I'm really excited to see that along with the middle infield. I, I, I think that the corners of the infield are pretty solidified. Waz basically came out on Monday and said as much, where uh, Drew Smith is at third and Jacob Walsh at first with Bennett Thompson behind the dish. And So that's a bit of what you're looking at on the offensive side of things. But up the middle – in on the middle of the infield is something I'm really looking forward to, and then how the outfield is going to work out. And then I think that this year is going to be a much improved pitching staff. Uh, last year was a lot of injuries, but I think that this year's pitching staff, a whole lot of transfers, a whole lot of JUCO guys, a whole lot of highly touted freshmen, and then a lot of returners, and a few of which are coming back from injury. So I, I, I really think that this team is going to be more stable than last year at the pitching staff. At least that's the uh, expectation coming in based on the certain cer current circumstances. And I think that the offense, if they can replicate what happened last year, then the sky's the limit. And I think with the pitching... That was not one sentence. No, it was, that it was, was significantly more than... Significantly more than one sentence. I'll give you credit for one sentence. I, I said one word to begin with. Right. So you, you, you were close. Um, I think specifically <laughs> with the, the pitching, like... You're you're completely right. I I am uh, as high as you are as the pit on the pitching staff. I think um, Kevin Sider, the Quinnipiac transfer, is going to be really good. Um, really like listening to that guy talk too. He, really, he he was in front of the media on Monday. Yeah, uh, full interview on GoDucks.com. He, he was articulate. He said a lot of things That's that you get in gave me new perspective yeah. uh, on the team, and, and I I thought that he really represented himself. In incredibly well and it gave me a lot of insight into how he's been working uh, throughout this offseason and I, I think with the pitching like Kevin Sider is going to be the Friday guy we, we can basically pencil him in there we can basically pencil in Grayson Grinsel for one of the weekend spots like this is the most com more or less this is the most confident I felt about an Oregon starting rotation I since I've been here and obviously that isn't accounting for um, the year before my freshman year with Robbie Alstrom and, and Colin Kafka and the other guy who's Brett 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 Walker. Brett Walker. I'm gonna say Brett Thomas, but I think he works in Oregon baseball in some capacity. Mm -hmm. 
Um, coaches. I think this is I'm the most. I'm glad you mentioned Colin Kafka. He I love him. He often gets forgotten, and he was my favorite member of that Same. rotation. Um, back to the main point. I, this is the most confident I felt about a pitching rotation, at least in terms of the starting staff, in a while. Um, I like what Cider brings just because I fully believe that there's a lot of value in like a guy that's experienced at the top of your rotation. I think they were going to get that with Isaac Aon before his injury, but I think they're getting it with Kevin Sider. And, and, and what's also and important for, for Sider is that he at Quinnipiac has improved every single yep. year. And and <coughs> so it, it there was continued momentum, and now he's coming in uh, to this to this rotation. Uh, I do think that with the rotation, it's a little bit less solidified than, than you might think. And, uh, well – Coming into this season, there, there's a whole lot of options that, that I think could appear in the rotation. And I, I'm not sure that anyone's really locked down a rotation spot. And and Waz kind of said that like, he's not necessarily sure if there's this bona fide Friday guy that can, can walk out there and, and shut down an opposing team. And that's something that you're going to have to find throughout the course of the season. But I, I, I'm not necessarily sure if it's going to be uh, – R.J. Gordon, or if it's going to be Grayson Grinsel, if it's going to be Turner Spoljarek, there's, there's a whole lot of, of arms that can throw pretty significant innings for the Ducks, and I think that's a really good thing, especially, obviously, with baseball when you have your midweeks, and you can have that depth in your pitching staff, or you can bring guys out of the bullpen. What Oregon did a lot in 2022, how they utilized R.J. Gordon, is they utilized him in three different ways, where they utilized him in the beginning of the season strictly out of the bullpen, and then they utilized him as a starter, and his ERA was great out of the bullpen, or it was pretty good out of the bullpen, uh, plummeted as a starter, and then he got moved as an opener. Well, he had, there was uh, Christian Schifatelli out in front of him as an opener. Oh, he was so good that year. And once RJ came in after Christian Schifatelli, RJ's ERA was about sub two as an opener that year. So it, it, there's a lot of different moving pieces that you can utilize, and I, I think that the new addition of Coke Chalksworth is really important as well, where he has really leaned in to the – analytical side of the pitching staff a little bit more than than coach Angier did and that's been one thing that Oregon and Waz and all the players have raved about with with coach Hawksworth is how much he leans in uh, to the technology side of pitching I think that Oregon is going to maximize what the analytics are going to say on, on the pitching side of things in, in particular and they have a lot of options that they're going to be able to utilize in a lot of creative ways your thoughts on the bullpen my favorite player on this team, by the way, already is Michael Friend, who I think I've like mentioned to you. You have passing. mentioned. I think he's awesome. Have you seen him pitch? I have not seen him pitch. He is awesome. I'm looking forward to he seeing him He is awesome. He's this little, like, because he's only, like, 5'10", but he gets up to, like, 93, 94. Yeah, and these Umqua Community College guys. Yeah, just right, exactly. Him Jace, and Austin Anderson coming in. Jay Stoffel, right? I mean, all of them. They, they keep coming in. and they, Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a nice little pipeline. Right. Uh, the bullpen is really the biggest question mark for me. It's it's the thing that I know the least about, and it's going to be something that we're going to figure out when Oregon needs to rely on the back end of that bullpen. Was throughout a whole bunch of different options for who could come out of the bullpen, and the, there's a whole bunch of trusted guys that haven't been a part of this Oregon team in years past that are coming in and have earned respect throughout fall camp and now through spring as the scrimmages have continued to move on. So I think there's a lot of different names that you could look at throughout the bullpen, but I don't necessarily know if there is a solidified guy. But Waz said on Monday that he believes in solidified roles, especially coming out of the pen. He believes in a guy expecting that he's going to come out as a closer, a guy expecting he's going to come out as a setup man. And I think that Oregon has a lot of candidates to come in and replace uh, what – 
was brought last season at the back end of that bullpen with Matt Dallas at, at that back end and, and uh, Josh Molaris. It's, we continue to move forward. But I think that there's a lot of different options, and Oregon's going to continue to work through that as we move through non-conference. And I think that someone's going to come out and snatch that job. Do you have a prediction? Do you have a guess? Are you not allowed to say? Are you I not mean, I, I have no idea. I'm, I'm looking forward to the competition. I am too. I think it's going to be – I think that's the, the, the plus side about, like, the the portal and, and all that jazz. Like, guys like Michael Friend, guys like Brock Moore, guys like Bradley Mullen, who I've, I've heard a lot of good things about, the Gonzaga transfer, who I think is going to be a, a really good piece. Um, but even someone like – like, I think it would be a fun role for, like, Logan Mercado with his energy um, to, to be able to finish games. No, no. I, I yeah. think that all of those guys are probably going to be you. key pieces of the bullpen. I appreciate it. A guy like Toby Twist is someone yeah. that I've heard a lot of Springfield Drifters about. legend, Toby Twist. Uh, what's your outlook for this weekend? What are, what are, what? Do, how do you think the weekend's going to go? What do you think, um, what does the Ducks competition look like, I think I should say? Yeah, three pretty difficult teams. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously, game's going to be played in Arlington. So, uh, down in Big 12 country, playing three Big 12 teams, Oklahoma, Baylor, Texas Tech. All of them are pretty good. All of them have had success in recent years. Uh, Oklahoma had a little bit of a down year last year after making it to the College World Series uh, two years ago. So if seeing what's going to come out of that team is going to be very interesting. Texas Tech opens the season ranked inside of the top 25. It, there's going to be difficult opponents on the schedule. It is going to be a battle. And for a team like Oregon that made a super regional last year, this is how you want to kick off your season. Waz talked about, has talked at nauseum about the opportunity to be invited to these tournaments and be able to test yourself in the non-conference and I think Oregon's reveling at the opportunity that they're going to be able to get to play in what is almost like a regional or super regional right. atmosphere on the road where you're going to be in a hostile environment against three highly talented teams and how are you going to compete obviously there's a lot of season to play between opening day and between postseason but this is going to be a, a really good test to sort of dive in head first and say okay we're in the season now and and, and it's a hostile environment. I want to talk a little bit more about some of the young guys in the lineup. Not the, the freshman young guys, but the guys that uh, maybe were freshmen, sophomore the last couple of years. Specifically Bennett Thompson, who had an awesome late last season, kind of an awesome breakout. Was good the whole year and then really turned it on as the season went on. Carter Garotti is someone that I'm really high on. I think he might be the best defender in, in, in the conference. Like I'm, I'm that high on him, both watching him play live and, and just hearing about him. And then like Drew Smith is, is awesome. I think those are going to be the, the foundational pieces. Um, just talk a little bit about the, 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 the kind of proven names in the lineup, the young proven names, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're talking names and someone we haven't talked about, I'm sure you're going to get to him is Jacob Walsh. I think yeah. that if we're talking lineup, I think that Jacob Walsh is where you have to start regardless. Um, and so him coming back, his junior season, he's he's a leader of this team. And I've only heard good things about Jacob Walsh coming out. Uh, and Drew Smith is someone that – uh, Co Coach Wojciechowski talked about this with those three specifically of Walsh, uh, Thompson, and Smith, yep. uh, where those three were starters at the end of the year last year. They earned this run with Oregon, and they've earned their way into the starting lineup this year. And those are three guys that ended the season all incredibly hot at the plate, and, and I expect for them to continue, and, and hopefully they will. Uh, for a guy like Carter Garotti, there, there is some competition there. There's a lot of competition in the middle infield with – Carter Garotti, Maddox Maloney, uh, you got Jack Brooks in the mix, you have Ryan Cooney in the mix. Those are all the guys that have kind of been circulating around in the middle infield, and 
there's a whole lot of competition, and, and Waz has said good things about every single one of them and the competition level that they continue to bring. Waz basically said, and he said this on the Odds and Audibles podcast with Jared Mack, someone you referenced earlier in this interview, yes. uh, he said that he wanted to bring <coughs> in where Oregon had holes, either uh, he wanted to bring in one high school guy and one transfer guy to compete for the position, and well, pretty much everywhere you've got a high school guy or a transfer competing for positions with someone who was on the team last year. Jack Brooks registered last year. Carter Garotti uh, had a season, a good season before, as Waz called it, was a little bit Wally pipped by Drew Callie due to yep. an injury. And he's coming in, and well, both those guys are competing in the middle infield with two freshmen. And so I, I think that that's something that I'm going to look at is that battle in the middle infield and how these young guns are really going to take hold of that job at both second base and shortstop. I feel like you want to talk about I want to hear you talk about Jacob Walsh. Can you just, like, rave about Jacob Walsh? I really like Jacob Walsh. Um, I, like I, I do. It's a good I, take. <laughs> it's, it's hard not to like Jacob Walsh. I, he finished the season so strong last year, and Waz was talking about – he was asked uh, a few weeks back about Jacob Walsh and how he's going to improve on – what was kind of inferred to be a down season last year and, and was retorted and he said well he had 16 home runs if you extrapolate out to 162 game season that would be 42 home right. runs at the major league level like yeah you're asking a guy who who would have hit 42 home runs and if it was a major league season well how are you going to get better how are you how are you going to be Aaron Judge and and for a guy that had so much hype around him like Jacob Walsh I mean the expectation is incredibly high it's hard to live up to it and Walsh has been living up to it. You come in, you're freshman All-American, you come in the next year, and you're one shy of the previous home run record. And if it wasn't for Sabine Ceballos, he would be number two or tied for number two with Drew Callie all time at, at that leaderboard. I love Sabine Ceballos. Yeah, and it's going to be really interesting to see how Drew Smith replaces him over at third base. But I, I really think that this Oregon team uh, has Jacob Walsh as, as really the leader right now coming in. Um, and – there are so many leaders. I don't want to single out Jacob Walsh because what's been said the whole time is that this is a player-led team and there are so many different pieces uh, that continue to step up. But for a guy like Jacob Walsh that has been a key piece in the lineup for the last three years, he's the person that Oregon fans know, and, right. and he's going to be someone at first base that you're expecting a big, powerful bat from, and I think that's, that he's going to bring that to the table. I, I think it's it's easy to kind of single him out as the leader of the team, though, because he's he is the only guy that, that really – Got that playing time two years ago on this Oregon team where I, it felt like it was kind of the... Yeah, he's the only three-year starter offensively. Right. And it's it, it says a lot. And he he's a vocal leader. He's someone who is kind of like literally like the face of the team. Like he will be on the billboards. He's he's all over the place. He's an awesome guy to, to follow, an easy guy to root for. Um, you talk about big power about at first base, Dom Hellman. He's got that big 6'6 frame. He's got the power. Talk to me about Dom Hellman. I have heard great things yeah. about Dom Hellman. Uh, I was able to go and watch a scrimmage. Um, he looks awesome. And I, I mean, yeah, I, the way that the ball flies off that yeah. guy's bat, I, exit velo like I've never seen. Uh, so, yeah, if he gets barreled to barrel the ball, I, I think just about every time he does, it might be a home run. So, I, actually, I, uh, I, I heard. Uh, Jeffrey Hurd. I was talking with Jeffrey Hurd a few days ago. Y you heard the Hurd? Yeah, I heard. We were having a conversation, yeah, yeah. so I heard actually everything. Good. Yeah. Um, no, but Jeffrey Hurd was talking about it. he was playing in the outfield, and, and uh, Dom hit a ball, and it was just like a line drive that he thought was going to go right into uh, the left fielder's glove. And it just kept going and Pew. going, and 
going, and, and then it hit the scoreboard. <laughs> oh, like, wow. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. Yeah. yeah, this guy's got a lot of pop. Yeah. He's uh, he's really good. I'm a big Dom Hellman fan. I was last year, too, and I thought he was he was kind of Wally Pipped a little bit in his own right. Like, he, he got hurt. But he was hurt. Yeah, um, which is the case with Wally Pipp. He got hurt, and Lou Gehrig, you know, replaced him. But <laughs> <laughs> Yep. <laughs> should I, is that how I should talk about all these guys on my broadcast? It, they, they were Wally Pipp. They Pip. were all Wally Carter Pip. Carter Grotti, Wally Pipp. Well, Truth that Smith, I can Wall- say because yeah, Waz was, actually yes. said it. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Friend, Wally Pipp, all the way to Umquil Community College. No, uh, I, that, that's not how I'm going to be. <laughs> good. Uh, anything else you want to tell us? Um, Anything specific you feel like we should know? I think that you guys should know that this team is going to be a whole lot of fun. Um, I am going to have a whole lot of fun. You are. We're very proud of you. Um, I know that you guys are having a whole lot of fun. Um, eh, it's going to be a whole lot of fun. Where uh, where can we find your work and such? W- find me on the Oregon Sports Network. You can find me... On OSN, uh, live Go Ducks audio. There are links. What's the uh, what's the what's the actual radio tag? There, it the are Oregon, you on Oregon Sports Network from Learfield. I mean, there's a whole bunch of different affiliates out there. Oh, okay, so got I can't, it. I can't. Do you know the Eugene one? one? I I okay. don't, but there okay. I will in a second. Yeah. Um, but there are a whole bunch of different. I did learn this there. recently. I did think it was just uh, one. we're on we're on five ninety AM in Eugene. Cool. I have been wondering that actually, and I realized I could have looked it up and or texted you, but you should have done both. Should have. Didn't. Cool. Parting message? Keep killing it. Cool. Thanks, buddy. Good to see you. Likewise. That was Ryan Milano from <laughs> OSN, who's <laughs> still here. It's not like when we're when we're on the phone where we can just like turn Get it off. Of no, this is this is awkward because you're still here. Yes. You should have worked on your throat of break. Should have what? You should have worked on your throat of break. It's a different medium. Well, we're gonna step aside and when we come back. We're talking Oregon basketball. I'm excited for it. Cool. I, I'm actually going to leave, so I won't be here. But have a good one. I'm excited for you guys to do it. See you on the other side on 88.1. KWVA. 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 More American Indians live in poverty than any other racial or ethnic group. Since 1989, the American Indian College Fund has helped thousands of young men and women begin a path out of poverty as students at tribal colleges. As more American Indians see a college education as a way out of poverty, full-time college enrollment continues to rise, along with a continued need for support. Help a student, help a tribe. Learn more at tribalcollege.org. A public service message from the American Indian College Fund. Students, when I call the reason for your absences throughout the years, please exit the auditorium without your high school diploma. <clears throat> Too tired. Family trip. Sick day. Starting the holidays early. Starting in the sixth grade, students who miss 18 days or more of school in a year for any reason will fall behind and risk not graduating high school. How many days of school has your child missed this year? Absences add up. Keep track at boostattendance.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. Ugh, what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. What are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. It's been a long time since we've had an adventure in the forest. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. You're right. I should get out. Yeah, the forest is not that far away. Hey, Mom! Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. 
Are you driving home from work, sitting in traffic? Yeah, that sucks. Good news for you. Quack Smack is back, right here on KWVA Eugene, 88.1 FM. Back on Quack Smack the last 15 minutes, we're going to talk some Oregon men's basketball, some Oregon women's basketball. Did you guys hear the, the unfortunate news? I Give it to me. I have not. Give it to me. Reports are saying Nate Biddle likely out for the season. Ooh. So okay. Oregon down to eight scholarship <sighs> players tough. for what kind of looks like the rest of the year, which sucks. Um, not Biddle. I don't I don't know if it said specifically what the injury was. I know he's been dealing with a sickness and he came back much sooner than expected from his injury. So um that's tough. Jeez. What's tougher is that Oregon is likely off the bubble after uh, a weekend against the Washington schools. They beat Washington in a game that should not have been nearly as close as it was. Uh they were up 20 at one point. It ended up I think Washington had tied it and taken the lead at one point. Um, and then Wazoo, who's really good, who I was really down on earlier this year. Um, they're awesome. Miles Rice is awesome. Oscar Clough, Isaac Jones, those are uh, awesome, awesome players. Um, I I think Washington State is is really good. I, I Should Oregon have lost that game? No. Could they have to, to help their chances? No. Did they? Yes. And so that's, that's kind of where I'm at. What are our feelings about men's basketball? Is they're kind of off the bubble? Yeah, I gotta agree across the board. I think losing Biddle just up front, losing Biddle is huge to the team because I think that even Dana Altman said it after their loss to Washington State that not having Nate Biddle in the big man rotation between Diawara and Dante, it's really rough because that's putting the weight of the world on in Folly Dante's shoulders to go and play 35 minutes per game. And when you are a dude who for opposing teams is, Hey, this is the guy that we need to attack and go after and beat up and just really tire out. It's going to take a toll on Dante. And he's already had struggles with injuries this year because he's a big guy. So it's really concerning to see how that's going to impact the big rotation and then just overall, I think that – I don't think that Oregon is done for the year. I think that there is still a glimmer of a shot, but I think that after that loss to Washington State, it has gotten exponentially harder. And now I think that their fate lies solely up to the tournament. I don't think that there's much you can do the rest of the year except just win every possible game that you can. Yeah, and I, I, I think that it's so interesting that – the men, all the the men's basketball team all year, have been very streaky. They'll score twenty in a in a quarter, come back from these massive deficits, and sometimes in the biggest moments when they've needed it, they've come up big. And then when they've needed it most, Altman even said it. He told the team that they knew how good Wazoo is. We knew that we needed to beat them. They they knew all these things. They knew the implications going into this game, and they just didn't shoot well from the on the arc and didn't shoot well at the free throw line. And it just shows how streaky they've kind of been defensively, offensively. And I think that in order to kind of make amends of the season, you have to put up a fight against Arizona and not get rolled and play your best basketball. You still have a chance to play a really good team um, in a big spot. And that is in in an obviously win out. Um, but especially against Arizona, one of the top teams in the nation. Yeah, I think 
that's kind of the only thing Oregon can do to get itself back on the bubble is is win against Arizona in Arizona. Um, they've looked really vulnerable recently. Arizona has. Um, I'm not as high on them as a lot of people are. I just I've seen them lose to Oregon. I've seen them lose to Stanford. I've seen them lose to Oregon State. I I don't think they're that good. I don't really think they played team basketball outside of. I shouldn't say outside of it. I think they kind of just run through Caleb Love, um, who scored 36 against Oregon, so it works sometimes. On the other side, the women's side, women's fell to the mountain schools. Um, the Utah game, they were really competitive again. This is a team that is better than their record. I will stand by that. I think it helps that I've called the team all year. I'm not just looking at the box scores, but this team is better than their record shows. Chance Gray and Grace Vince Luton and Philly Che are awesome. Those are three like legitimate superstar level players, and then you you're building the rotation still, and I think it's falling into place, but I think it's falling into place just a little too late. Um, Ula Chamberlain got her first start the other day. She was awesome. She had four threes. She's a player that I think should have been getting more minutes from the start of the season, but obviously has not. Same question. Vibe check, status check, whatever you want to call it about women's basketball after the weekend. Thoughts on the weekend? I think that for the women, it's kind of a different narrative as opposed to the men's basketball because I think that the women's season ended a lot earlier than the men's, if the men's has ended at all. But I think that the difference is the women's basketball team, in my opinion, has a lot more upside going into next year because – there's a lot of players on this team that, as you said, Austin, are really, really good. It just happens to be that they play in the best conference in all of women's college basketball right now because they are consistently playing top 10 teams every other game. And it's so hard to bounce back and find a rhythm as a team after a big loss if you're having to go and play another titan of the game. They haven't really had the opportunity to have a bounce back. And I think it's just an unfortunate situation of the conference that they're in this year. And I think that with a move to the Big Ten next year, I think this team is going to surprise a lot of people because there's going to be a lot of returning players for this Oregon team, and they're going to look really good. Yeah, I think that I think that's a really good point about moving to the Big Ten and how young this team is and how the carryover from this year into next year and keeping some of that team chemistry if Che doesn't, transfer or some of the women don't transfer out please but, let her stay but please please stay. Filipina che, please, please stay, stay. <laughs> so i'll let her know um but i think that the narrative when you look at the two the men and the women and you compare them i think that the, na- the narratives are totally different while the men especially recently have been finding ways to win games and kind of just hold on to leads at the end of games i think that oregon the women have been struggling and trying to find ways just to hang on, just to stay in it and stay competitive. And I think that they're two totally different standards. I think that the season, I think you're looking ahead to next year if you are um, Kelly Graves and Filipina Che and some of those stars and some of those players. Um, And one thing that kind of like is a little bit mind-boggling, especially against Utah, is when you start Basham and you start Che and you still – get out out rebound yeah. and have so many offensive uh, op- give up so many offensive boards and put back points I-, I think that's a little bit just mind-numbing to me that 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 happens and so I think that's something to work on I think that looking ahead against USC you looked at the last uh, 
just looking at the last matchup, how when the starters are on the floor, it's four underclassmen on the Oregon team and Filipina Che, who's a junior. Meanwhile, it's seniors and fifth-year players against USC. And that's kind of what they've gone up against all year in this conference that is just completely loaded in women's basketball, especially on the offensive end and especially at Che's position, which is the center position at the five. How do these teams end, this, end the year on a high note? Um, if we're talking about the men's team, I think that you have to win every single game. I don't know if they will win every single game the rest of the regular season, but obviously that has to be the goal. And then I think that the only way this Oregon men's team makes March Madness is if they go, if they finish second in the Pac-12 for a very important reason, which I will get into very shortly, they have to win every single Pac-12 game leading up to the championship and then assuming that they play Arizona in that championship game, which they probably would because Arizona is an incredibly talented basketball team, they have to either win that or make it a really tight game and hope they get an at-large bid. Anything less than that is not going to be enough because they have to do essentially every single thing right the rest of the season because if they slip up once, they're done. That's it. Uh, As for the women, I think that Really, just try to end it on a high note. You're getting some easier games coming up here for the women's team because they're going to be playing Washington. They're going to be playing Washington State, California. I think that those are three teams that Oregon could definitely pull a win, maybe two wins away from. And I think that would be a really good way to end the year. And I think that it's especially important to end this year on a high note and bring that momentum into the next year because, as we were just talking about, this women's team has a lot of promise. So, honestly, get experimental. Let Graves try some other stuff out. Get funky with it because the season, you're not going to be winning the Pac-12 at this rate. But that doesn't mean that you can't try new stuff and build for next year, which I think is the key for the women's team right now. Yes, and I think for the Oregon men, I'll start with them. I I mentioned it a little bit. They've got, what, six games left on their schedule. Um, A big one against Stanford. I haven't played Stanford yet. I'm so excited for that game. I'm sorry for cutting you off. It's all right. A big big one against Arizona. Yeah. Um, And I think that in order to actually, you know, contend for the March Madness tournament, I think that they need to win every game, and I think that they need to at least be competitive and compete in that game against Arizona. I think a big player to – a couple players to watch is Bartholomew and um, Shellstad on the guard position and not let that game turn into Cal- into the Caleb Love show like it was last time. Um, as for the women, I, I just think that I, I mentioned it again. I think build on last year, get your young players a, a lot of reps, and especially against this Pac-12 conference that they've been really, you know, they've performed well. They've been competitive in a lot of these games, and they haven't let those ones get away from them really, um, even though they are – heavily outmatched in a lot of those as far as experience and um, just overall offensive output from a lot of those starters. I think the the, the Arizona game is, is going to be very telling on what the Ducks can do. I worry that they're going to either play too much up or down to their opponents. I feel like they have for the last couple of years. Um, but it's still a, a good kind of gauge on, on where they sit. And then like I, I, think, I do think the men need to win out. I think the women have a chance to win – 
at least two or three more games. I think the Washington and Washington State games are both winnable. The Cal game, they were up big in that one uh, at home, or at Cal's home, I should say, uh, back in Berkeley a couple months ago. Um, they just needed to be able to finish, and I think that's the, the, the story of the year is they need to be able to finish. I would not be surprised if this team won a game in the tournament because um, I, I realized that they – they're they're going to end as the last or second last team in in the Pac-12, with only Arizona State behind them. I still think that they are, um, that they, they have kind of the highest ceiling of that of that bottom tier of teams. Like they are, they will win more games than Cal and and Wazoo without Charlie Swedzer Walker, um, and Arizona State and Arizona. I I think those are all teams that they could beat. Uh, and and I'm excited, and we're gonna be there. Saul and I are gonna be at the the Pac-12 women's basketball tournament, calling every single game, not just all of Oregon games. Uh, every single Pac-12 game. Dang, I'm so excited I'm so to be excited. in Vegas for a week. We won't be 21, but still, it's gonna be a grand. It's old gonna time. be a great time. We're gonna we're gonna um, non-alcoholic wine and dine some other uh, some other student radios, and you know, get to know some some tricks of the trade. Uh, so that's a little little something. Um. Did you have something to add? Oh, uh, actually, I don't know if you now did, that you mention it. Please. I do. One of the things that I'm really excited for because we mentioned going into the games against Arizona for the men's team. I'm really intrigued to see how it, they play because I have had the long firm belief that Arizona isn't necessarily a truly elite basketball team. Agreed. They just have the ability to play like the best basketball team any given day. Now, the flip side of that is that they can also play like the 100th best basketball team in the nation any given day. It's really just a random draw of which Arizona team are you getting? Which Caleb Love are you getting? And when Oregon played Arizona, they lost by nine points. I will maintain that I think it was Oregon's best game of the year. And I know that that sounds a little weird to say, but if you look at the stats, 45% from the field, 39% from three. They fouled less. They rebounded just one rebound fewer than Arizona, which <coughs> hardly any other team this entire year has been able to even get close to the rebounds that Arizona has had. So I think that there's a very good potential that Oregon can steal one of these games against Arizona, especially the one that's coming up on the schedule in Tucson, because Oregon played an incredible game against them. It just so happened that Arizona played also, probably the best game that they've played all year. So if Arizona has a down night, which can happen any night, as we've seen this year, Oregon has a shot to claw their way back from death in this season. And that's something that I'm watching really closely because I think that it's a very good possibility. It'll definitely be interesting to see what the Ducks do the rest of the way. Men's team will be in Corvallis this weekend. Women's team at home. It'll be myself and... Jonah Bruneau on the call on Friday, myself and Saul on the call on Sunday. It's going to do it for us tonight on Quack Smack. We had an awesome show. Talked some Oregon softball, some Oregon baseball with Ryan Milano. Talked some Oregon men's and women's basketball. Isaac Doobie, Ty Goss, a couple friends over in production. My name is Austin Oda. We'll see you tomorrow night. Saul, is it your show? Be back for Saul. Thanks for listening. You're listening to Quack Smack. Listen to Quack Smack on K.